What does it take to be a top performing entrepreneur? Welcome to Inspiring Business Success, a podcast sponsored by Insperity, where we'll explore areas of entrepreneurial success and extraordinary professional performance. There is an abundance of good performers, but what about exceptional performance? This season, we will be exploring the defining characteristics of exceptional performers in business and in life. Inspiring Business Success is sponsored by Insperity. Insperity provides human resources solutions that make a difference in the success equation for the best small and medium-sized businesses. If you want to know more, go to insperity.com. Are you ready to reach new heights in your performance? Let's go to the studio now with Larry Schaefer, Senior Vice President of Marketing at Insperity, Dr. David Cook, author, speaker, and well-known sports psychologist, and Doug Tatum, author, professor, and entrepreneur. So let's take it to the next step here. Passion also is fueled by accountability. David, tell us a little bit about that. So Doug's used that word uh, almost anonymously a little bit with ownership and some of the illustrations that he, he gave us in, in the last session there. But let's just re- really pull it out and look at how it differs and, and what its specific part is in this thing called passion. When we look back at this pole vaulter that, that was not making it early on, um, and he had set some goals. The thing that changed him was that his coach cared. And then he literally gave his coach, you know, by design, basically, that's the way it is in college, the uh, ability or the right to hold him accountable. And the coach held this young man accountable to what he said he was going to do. Now, in the beginning, his goals were, they write kind of goal specific, tangible, self-reference, difficult, but he didn't have passion for them because he didn't own them. And also, as he was running along, he had no accountability until the coach pulled the goals out and sat in front of him and said, I'm going to hold you accountable to these. Or you can change them and go be a fraternity guy and never vault again. Accountability, you know, we need to allow people that have our best interest in light to come along beside us when we set our mission and our focus. And that's really important because we have proven in research that when we share goals, we move further than those that have unshared goals because of this concept of accountability. When I was working with this young player trying to make it on the PGA Tour, his name was Steve Lowry. Fascinating story here. He had missed five cuts in a row when I showed up to this tournament in Colorado. I asked him what was going wrong, and both he and his caddy piped up to what was going on because his caddy wasn't making any money either. In golf, you don't make money unless you make the cut and then get paid on the weekend. And so basically he had meandered sort of from from his goals. He was sort of meandering without some ownership or accountability. He wasn't didn't have any specificity. And so I knew that our job was to get him back on focus. But the cool thing in golf is you have a caddy. And that caddy can just carry clubs and stay out of the way. Or you can use that caddy to create some accountability. And so I created a goal and to establish some passion behind it, I want him to have ownership as we talked about before. But I wanted to not only do that, I wanted accountability. And so the caddy was having problems, not making money either. So I brought him into the picture. So we go back to the process that we did with Tim Duncan, C Feel and Trust, and with Stan Utley, the C Feel and Trust. And so we got back to 
this young man, I said, you know what, you're such an artist as an individual and you're really getting into mechanics. You, we need to get you creating pictures and back into the vision of what you want to have happen. You really need to get back into seeing it. So here's what, here's what I want you to do. I want you to let go of all the mess you've been thinking the last five weeks. And I want you just to look and picture and create because he was such a good feeler and a good creator as a player, one of the best you know I've ever worked with. But he had lost that sense of direction and talent because he was getting lost in a different world. I said, so here's the deal. Before every shot, you have to verbally out loud call your shot. And three things are in that call your shot. Where's the target? Where do you want the ball to end up? Number two is how do you want to get there? Because in golf, you can move it left to right, right to left. You can shape it. And then the third thing is trajectory, high or low or under tree, over tree, you know, Target, shape, and trajectory. So I want you to speak out loud what you're going to do with that shot to your caddy and give him permission not to hand you a club until you literally speak target, shape, and trajectory, basically to see the shot, which then turns into feel and to trust, and that was an opening door. So again, we're, we're changing this from a technical thing to what can you do mentally to allow your talent to come out. And we had a, an advocate. We had a, a caddy who was going to be his accountability partner. And his caddy was really excited because he knew if I can get this kid into explaining his shot, we're going to do well. And so we went around on Tuesday and Wednesday doing this. And the, the great ending of the story is that he wins Sunday afternoon in a playoff. Oh, he didn't just make the cut. He won the he tournament. He didn't just make the cut. He won after missing five cuts in a row. That's incredible. And he spoke every shot for four days to his caddy. His caddy was serious. I will embarrass you and not hand you a club and you can fire me on the spot, but what are you going to do then? So they really became a team. And that to me was like what you really need to do in that sport, what you really need to do when you actually have a living advocate there. That was to me, one of the ultimate cases of accountability. Yes, I'll do it. Okay. Let's give permission then. In the midst of competition, when all the emotion is flying for your caddy to have a significant role of accountability and what you say is important. You know, that, that really reminds me once again that someone that just wants to be good and make a little bit of money, they're not going to go through that extra effort that you just described. But he obviously was committed to exceptionalism and to winning and so was willing to do that. You gave him a, a process Here's what I heard, three things. You gave them a process, and then you took them through that process in, a, in multiple practice rounds, in other words, before it happened, and then had accountability for them to execute on game day. That's pretty cool stuff. It is, Larry, and, and, and it brings to mind, uh, particularly a uh, day when you were talking about the visualization of the end result. So I served for, for a while on a company uh, called Icon Aircraft. Uh, you can go out and, and uh, look at that, uh, you listeners. It's probably one of the coolest machines you've ever seen. It was uh, brought to us when I was on a venture capital board years ago by Kirk Hawkins, uh, you know, F-16 pilot, Stanford engineering grad. And I will never forget, uh, beyond the fact I said it's absolutely unequivocally, ridiculously crazy to fund an aircraft startup. I mean, are you kidding me? What he did is he pulled up a 3D rendering. The, the government had changed uh, flight regulations so that you could get a, an aircraft a pilot's license in uh, 
a matter of weeks for what they call recreational sports flying, but you had to have a plane that couldn't weigh any more than a certain amount. So he pulls up a 3D rendering of this plane, uh, indicated that the new technology around carbon fiber manufacturing that you could do this. And we all go, that is the coolest looking thing I have ever seen. By the way, you want to go fly one, you can now, and it's exactly like what he laid out in that rendering. And that's what, and we'll talk about this later on uh, in some of the series, uh, got this company through some enormously impossible challenges is they had a picture of what they wanted to do from the very beginning. Ended up raising $400 million to do it. Right. Uh, that's great. So in regards to passion, we've got... Uh these key ownership principles, David, that you've talked about, as well as just now the accountability. Here at Insperity, we've, uh, we have almost 600 business performance advisors, salespeople, and I love being around them, but a common characteristic among all of them, especially the ones that are succeeding, is they feed off of having an incentive, reaching goals that give them either financial compensation, recognition. Boy, they really, they really feed off of that. Let's talk a little bit about incentive, David. Gosh, incentive, you know, it's been used forever. Um, and it's, uh, it's sort of like an external motivator. And um, I think the most powerful motivation in the world is internal. You know, it, it's that desire, that ownership, that love of the game, the passion for, for life, entrepreneurship, whatever it is that, that fuels you every day. But there's certainly something to this thing called incentive. You know, I want the trip to Hawaii or I, I want the, you know, Mary Kay, the pink car, whatever it might be. There's these external things that really that move us. And in, in my world, when, when I uh, went to work for the San Antonio Spurs, they literally were the worst team in the league. They lost 60 games that first year. Um, and then we got Tim Duncan the next year. So that's going to, that's going to change some things. Um, but two years later, we win the world championship. And one of the guys that was on that first world championship team was Steve Kerr, who's now, you know, the great coach out in California. And, um, but on that team, he had, three rings already, you know, three world championship rings because he was with Michael Jordan in Chicago and was a great player in his own right and wonderful three-point shooter. And these other guys on the team were really interested in those rings, you know, because they were so cool. We want a ring, you know. It was an external incentive because, I mean, the, you know, you, you just can't even believe they're like the size of a, you know, an, an old-fashioned watch. You know, the ring is. Right. It, it hardly fits on the, on the hand. But you get some, you know, young players in there. They want the ring. That ring becomes the incentive. And um, when we won the world championship, I'm telling you, the rings are cool. I got one, which, like, you know, in my, my world is, like, unheard of, that someone in my position they, they saw as enough value to, to literally give one to. And wow. it's huge. It's, it's the size <laughs> of a watch. And I'm telling you what it was, it's really exciting to have that. And it was exciting to watch the players really hook onto not just the ring, but what it represents. I remember back to Little League when, you know, my dad was our coach and, you know, we're playing along. I remember that when we won a game, we went to Dairy Queen. <laughs> when we didn't win a game, we went home. Dairy Queen was sort of our ring back then, you know <laughs> what I mean. And one of the things when I was at KU in the basketball program, we ended up winning the national championship, you know, and I worked with so many elite teams where 
the championships come with stuff. You know, they come with trophies. They come with rings. They come with Sports Illustrated covers. In fact, two entities or people that I've worked with through the years were on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I mean, what, a, what an incentive to be on the cover. And Danny Manning at KU was, was the first basketball player that came to see me when he was a freshman. He was a part of that story that I talked about earlier. Um, amazing young man. He wasn't literally one of the selfish guys. He's one of the unselfish guys that I would say one of the greatest young athletes and men you know I've ever known. When we won the national championship, Danny Manning's on the cover of the Sports Illustrated. It's on my wall at home, you know, and that, that's that's really cool for for you to aspire to something like that. The second player was the second baseman for the Minnesota Twins many years ago when, when they won the world championship. There was a big pile on, on the, you know, of their players when they won the final game, and it's on the front of Sports Illustrated, and there's just this pile of humanity. And in the middle of the pile, there's one head looking out at the camera, and it's the gentleman I worked with, Steve Lombardosi, who was the second baseman, and there's his face on the front of wow. Sports Illustrated. So for whatever it's worth when you can create most of all an internal motivation for your people so that they they have a love for what they do and then the secondary thing is an external incentive for exceptional performance that comes from all of the things that we've been talking in the podcast then you got really the best of the two worlds so doug how do we correlate that concept of incentive to business you know it strikes me larry that making money is not a cause uh, a value proposition where effectively you can define what your business is doing for your customers in such a way that they're willing to reward you above your costs, which is making money, mm -hmm. is the most difficult thing for entrepreneurs to identify. Because what you're really talking about is that alignment around a cause and a value proposition and an incentive works. Uh, incentive without an alignment does not work. So, for example, if you go in and we use some of these principles you're talking about, if you go in and say, I'm going to bonus everybody based on profits, then you have neglected anything that anybody would have a passion for or a cause. I like that word better mm -hmm. in a business context. You have not identified the value proposition that would cause your customers to applaud you with profits. So there is no alignment around bonusing to make money outside of the context of the contest we're in. And, I, you know, it strikes me the more I listen to this, too, you know, business is is nothing but a competitive sport and a free enterprise society. You know, uh, we're, this whole country's built on it. We thrive on it. But I think that incentives are enormously important in the context of the other things we've talked about on this podcast. Outside of that, it's a problem. I know you guys have a lot of expertise in that. I know that's in your, in your world, but you see that all the time. But it's not patently obvious to maybe a lot of the listeners out there. It's like, okay, I come up with an incentive, I pay more money, that is a waste of money if you don't have context in these other issues. Yeah, I think a lot of times the entrepreneurs wrongly assume that their team, their employees, are just as excited about making new profit goals as they are. And quite frankly, they're just, they're just not. It's not as close to home for them as it is for the entrepreneurs. So that's where, once again... The, the, a good leader will deal with the reality of that fact 
and will put in the extra effort to create the right kind of reachable incentives that motivate their people. We've got passion that is driven by ownership, accountability, and incentive. Well, if you liked what you heard today, subscribe and share. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to talking with you next time.